So what I want you to think about, to start off with, is the last time you went somewhere for the first time. Does that make sense? So <laughs> I was practicing this earlier, and I kept saying the first time first, and I didn't want to confuse you guys. So the last time you went somewhere for the first time. If you can't think of the last time you went somewhere for the first time, just any time you've been somewhere for the first time. It might be this church. So it could be that you've come to the church tonight for the first time. It could be that you've come to this church in the last few months for the first time. It could be a new college or a new school. I know some guys have started new colleges, new schools. It could be a university. It could be a new workplace. It could be a new hobby. Um, It could be anything. But the first, the last time, see, I've done it, did it then? The last time that you went somewhere for the first time, what was the experience like? I just want you to have a think about this. How were you welcomed into that place? How was that for you? Who talked to you? Um, What was the experience just like generally? How did you feel is the really important thing I want you to think about. And what was the experience like? Okay? So I'm going to give you... uh, You don't have to do this. You can sit there with your eyes closed or look at your phone for the next two minutes if you want to. That's absolutely fine. But if you are okay, just chat to the person next to you and share if you've got something just about the last time you went somewhere for the first time. Now, I don't know what your experiences that you've just talked about are. I'm really, really conscious. My wife, Deb, would definitely tell you this. It's a painful experience whenever we go to a restaurant for the first time, if we're not welcomed very well. Uh, My wife will tell you what that's like being with me. I'm quite a moaner if I don't get welcomed in the right way. Uh, But I just feel like I'm painfully aware of what welcoming well is like. I feel like I'm quite nervous when I go somewhere for the first time. And that could be like a restaurant, but like if you amp it up to like coming into a church for the first time, I get very nervous. I feel like I'm social, I'm a little bit awkward, and it's just a big thing for me to go somewhere for the first time. So how I'm welcomed is really, really important to me. And it's quite important to me to make that experience, particularly in, in other things that we do, good for people who might feel the same as me. And I don't know what your experience is alike. I've just joined a new golf club. Most of you will know that, I, well, some of you will know that I enjoy playing golf. I've just joined a new golf club. And for me, that's been socially quite challenging. There is a lot of new people to meet and lots of new people to chat with, and that's something that I find quite daunting. But the welcome to the new golf club has actually been really, really pleasant and really, really nice. There's been lots of people that have welcomed us, myself and my dad, really openly, encouraged us to go and play with them, and all sorts of stuff like that. So that's been really, really brilliant. And it's been really interesting for me just to see how the social dynamics at this new place kind of play out, Um, how people interact with each other and what sorts of uh, folks are there. So let's read what we're going to look at tonight. And hopefully I haven't just got you to talk about that and waffled for a sec for no reason at all, because it is kind of linked into what we're going to look at tonight. So we're starting a new chapter in James. We're starting in chapter 2. And uh, if you've got a Bible with you, you can can follow along. We're starting from the beginning of chapter 2. And um, yeah, we're starting a new chapter. And we're going to read it together and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to look at what it might be saying to us. So let's read this together. Words up on the screen. I hope they're not too small, and you can, you can see them clearly. So James chapter 2, starting from verse 1. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you. But you say to the poor man, you stand there or you sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves 
and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to who you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I wasn't expecting you guys to read along with me, so I must have said something, but that was really nice. (laughs) Should we just pray? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you that it's alive. Thank you that it has the power to transform us. And Lord, I just pray tonight that as we explore this together, as we just try and pull this apart, that we would experience you through these words, that I wouldn't get in the way of anything you want to say tonight, that you would open our hearts, our minds, and speak your words of truth into our hearts this evening, we pray. Amen. Okay, so the words in these, uh, these verses, I think, are fairly straightforward, like with a lot of James, and talked about this in a few sermons in the past. Very practical book, very, very straightforward, and essentially the message coming straight out of these verses, which I'm sure most of us will have picked up on, don't show favoritism in church. And I want to stick closely to these verses. It's quite easy sometimes to stray away. So I think the first thing to say, which is really important, is that this is talking specifically about a church context. So like us here now, in church, on a Sunday, the actual actual physical act of coming to church, or somebody coming into church for the first time. So, or or the second time, or the third time, which is why we discussed what we did at the beginning. So I just want to be really clear on that, but I do think that there is also a deeper message in these verses that I hope we can observe tonight and see um, and unpack about how we live generally, not just in this place, because we know, don't we, that following Jesus goes much further than just between these four walls on a Sunday. It's about how we are and how we live outside of this place as well. But the message in the simplest form that I don't want to move too far away from is don't show favoritism um, in church. And it raises a number of questions for me. And this is really straightforward. I didn't plan it like this, but it just turned out like this. But it's a simple what, why, and how. Um, So three points. What does favoritism look like in our context? So here in Sutton, how does favoritism play out practically here in church for us? What does that look like? Then if, as these verses seem to be suggesting from just reading them straight off, it isn't a good idea to show favoritism or partiality is another word that's used in some other other versions of, of Scripture to certain members of society, certain people, why is that not okay? And then what do we need to actually physically avoid doing to make sure that we don't do that? 
So what is the things that we actually need to be very aware of so that we don't fall into the trap of doing those things? Anybody guess what the next one is? Then it's how. So how do we actually do those things? How do we practically make sure that we then go on living out those things, and how do we do that? So the first thing that I thought when I read these verses was actually, we've done a pretty good job tonight, but normally it's the front rows in our church, the best seats in the house, that are the hardest ones to fill. So at first I thought, well, maybe we're just living out these verses really, really well, and we've always got the best seats in the house free and open for um, anyone that wants to, um, to sit there. But in all seriousness, when we look at these words as they're written, favoritism and the way it translates in the original text and the essential message is about how do we, as the church, treat people who come through this door and, and come into this place? Do we treat them with the same respect and in an equal way and not show favoritism? So the first question this begs for me is do we make a decision when we see somebody's outward appearance as to how we might choose to treat them? Is that something that we might do? Do we think about whether we welcome them in the same way, talk to them at all, try and find out more about them, sit next to them even. And whether we like it or not, I think it's difficult because I think the vast majority of us, and I include myself in this majorly, is we make often snap decisions, snap judgments, because I believe that there is a lot in society that is training our brains to think that way. So whether it's the internet, social media, adverts, our brains are being trained every day to make these immediate snap judgments, snap decisions. Should I do this? Do I like how this person looks? Do I want to look more like this person? Do I not want to look more like this person? Do I want my life to look more like that and less like that? Even down to, do I want to buy this product? Will this thing make my life better? We are being trained over and over again in our brains to make these snap decisions and these snap judgments. And I guess what I want to suggest is a slight worry for me in that is that it becomes such a way of thinking and so deeply rooted into our society and the way that we think that it's really difficult to act any differently. It's very, very hard to train ourselves to act and think any differently to that. Our world is so keen on assessing people, sizing them up, putting them down, and establishing this pecking order. And we see that all over the world. This person's better than that person. This person's more powerful than this person. This person's more respected than this person. The truth is we live in a society now, you know, many young adults and, and a lot of us will know that actually what can bring respect nowadays is something as simple as the amount of followers that you might have on a, on a platform, TikTok, YouTube, Twitter, whatever it is. That's what gives you respect, status, rather than anything to do with your character, anything to do with who you are as a person. And the world that James often refers to it as in his letter is so keen on pitting us against each other, making judgments about one another. So the question is, on what basis are we choosing to respect people and trying to decide how we are going to treat each other? Is it moulded by the world and its values and hierarchies and pecking orders or is it by God and his values and the way that he sees all of us together as humanity? The world says wealth, power, status. This is what gets you respected, treated properly. 
Not only that, we see time and time again that the, the immense wealth and, and the real wealthy in our world can get themselves into trouble and get themselves out of trouble, live however they want and pay their way out of trouble and do whatever they want. And there is this deep-rooted corruption in the world that can't really be ignored by any of us. And James urged to this in, in the words that we've just read, verses 6 to 7, um, same in the early church in Jerusalem where James is, he's talking about these types of things. And he says, is it not the rich who oppress you and drag you into court? And James, again, pointing to the corruption that's ongoing and, and still is an issue today. So the question begs again, on what basis when people walk through our door are we deciding how to treat people and uh, whether to uh, treat people equally or not? Because James says the world is like this. This is what the world looks like, okay? Don't bring that into here, because in here needs to be different. And we talked, um, I called the talk tonight, sorry, countercultural church, because the truth is the early church were really trying to live counterculturally with Jesus as king and living under God's kingdom and the rules that that, um, that, that entails. And it didn't really matter how the rest of the world thought, but they were really trying to live in a world full of oppression, full of persecution, and really trying to live counterculturally. And what can we learn from this message to those people in the early church? Be countercultural. Don't be stained by what the world brings. Don't bring that into here. This place is meant to be different. Donald, this morning at the All Together, is the All Together, does that go on YouTube? It will do. So this little bit here about not being stained by the world, Donald spoke about that, I thought, brilliantly this morning all together and got his converse wet at one point, which is very funny. But um, go and watch that on YouTube and just have a look at that. It's really, really good, but it's talking about exactly these types of things. So that's our what. Then why is it a bad idea to live this way in church and just generally in life? So we identified the world's way of choosing who to respect, treat well, ultimately value the, and, and value people is ultimately flawed. James is saying if that's the case, there's no place for this in the life of our church. It just isn't how God intends for us to, to do things. And James says in verse 8, he says these words, and you don't need to read along with me this time. <laughs> if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbour as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Love your neighbour as yourself. James refers to the teachings of Jesus. And I want to look at a specific account in Luke chapter 10, where an expert in the law challenges Jesus. And he asks him, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds with words that will be familiar to a lot of us here. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul and strength. And love your neighbour as yourself. And after that, in Luke 10, Jesus goes on to tell the story of the Good Samaritan. A story, again, which many of us will be familiar with. A story where a man is robbed and beaten. And as he's lying there, uh, left for dead, a priest passes him by, sees him, and refuses to help. And then a Levite man walks past and does exactly the same thing as the priest. Sees the man in his state and refuses to help, walks by and does the same. Then a Samaritan man walks by, and the expectation of the listeners 
um, to Jesus telling this story will have been that this man, the Samaritan man, was the last person anybody would have expected to come to this man's aid. But the Samaritan man goes above and beyond to help this injured man. Jesus then poses the question back to the expert in the law, and he says, who was a neighbor to this man? The teachers of the law replies, the one who showed him mercy. And then what does Jesus say? Go and do likewise. So why is it a bad idea to behave with favoritism in church? Because deeply rooted in the teachings of Jesus, what James refers to as the royal law, and he's referred to it as the law of liberty in chapter 1, is the understanding that we must live in the way of Jesus' mercy and not in the way of the judgment that the world so often brings. We need to begin to see each other, not as the world looks at us, but instead look at each other as Jesus sees us. Not as the world looks, decides, and judges, but see each other as Jesus does with mercy. James finishes these um, Uh, these verses by saying mercy will triumph over judgment and mercy triumphs over judgment every single time. But the issue is that we find that our heads are so often set up to make those snap judgments, those snap decisions, much like the priest and the Levite in our story. Well, I couldn't possibly help that person. I couldn't possibly talk to that person. I couldn't possibly relate or get to know that person any better than I do now. What would it look like instead if we chose to live in the mercy of Jesus? The mercy that's been so freely poured out into our lives. And each one of us tonight here that follows Jesus will be aware of that mercy. You might be aware of it less now than you were at the beginning of your faith journey. You might be aware of it more now than you were at the beginning of your journey. But we will be aware of the mercy that has been poured out into our lives And Paul writes in Romans, chapter 15, verse 7, accept one another then, just as Christ has accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. When we accept people, as Jesus has accepted us, with the mercy and the grace and the love that Jesus has poured out into our lives, that brings praise to God. The truth is, we all deserve to face God's judgment. We've all broken and continue to break the royal law, the law of liberty, as James puts it. But Jesus pours out his mercy into our lives. And if we see and understand that, and we've experienced that, and then we in turn choose to treat others differently without the same mercy shown to us, James calls us in verse 7, lawbreakers. James then goes on to explain if we break even one area of the law, we find ourselves accountable for all of it. Which might seem like a harsh thing upon reading. For me, when I first read these verses, you know, it seems like a harsh thing upon reading, but think about it. This royal law, the teachings of Jesus. I was reading earlier this week, and and, um, in one commentary I was just reading, the writer explained it like the law, the royal law that James is talking about here is like a car tire, punctured in one area. The whole thing is affected and broken. It's no good saying, well, I don't do this, but I do all this other good stuff, so it doesn't matter that I don't do that. Because broken in one area, the whole thing is broken. James says it himself in these words. He says, it says not to commit adultery, it says don't murder. And if you go around saying, well, I'm not an adulterer, but I've murdered, 
then you've still broken the law. Somebody else described the royal law, the teachings of Jesus, like a piece of glass, broken in one area, broken all over. The point here is that we all need the mercy and the grace of Jesus. None of us can obey God perfectly. And James finishes this small section of his letter by saying mercy will triumph over judgment. So can we choose to live in the mercy of Jesus and treat people as such in this building and outside this building? When I first came to this church to work as a trainer youth worker, which I was thinking today is nearly 13 years ago, I think it's around about 13 years ago, which is crazy to me because that's gone very, very quickly. <laughs> um, my life wasn't where it is now, and um, I'm by no means perfect, <laughs> but I've come a long way since those early years. And meeting with people like Donald and a very close friend of mine still, John C. Some of you remember John C., youth worker years ago. And just being shown over so many years love, mercy, grace, because these guys reflect Jesus. And when I met with these guys and things weren't going so good and I was messing up and I was doing things wrong and I was saying the wrong things and I was acting in the wrong ways, that having that mercy and that love that these guys showed, being like Jesus, completely changed and transformed my life. Completely changed and transformed my life. Um, and yeah, I'm very, very grateful for that. I'm still very, very good friends with John too. We speak um, every year um, over Zoom. Some of you will know John too. And I still enjoy working with Donald. Uh, it's still good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. So just really, really... Um, absolutely, yeah, it's just absolutely transformed my life. So, yeah, there's one thing that we need to avoid. And um, the first thing I say about this is that next, I'm going to do an advert for the next sermon, but next sermon, this is kind of what this is all going to be about. And there is kind of a central pin, uh, an, an idea that runs through the whole um, letter that James writes. And it's something that, to be honest, over the years has, called, has caused quite a bit of controversy. Uh, and the next half of chapter two really tackles that idea. Um, and um, I do just want to spend some time looking at that. Sorry, I haven't been very good with my PowerPoint. There you go. Mercy over judgment. And um, yes, yeah, so there's this idea that we need to be really, really careful that we don't slip into. We can say, right, God's mercy, fantastic. I'm going to live with that as the rule of my life. And then saying, well... Because God is merciful, because he's going to forgive me, it doesn't really matter how I live. I can go about my life however I want. And we talked about, you know, oh, I do all this good stuff, but I don't do this. We can coast through life thinking that it doesn't really matter how we live. And James really tackles this idea right the way throughout his letter, but particularly in the second half of chapter 2. So we are going to come back to this. But instead of thinking we can just coast through life and pretending that how we behave now doesn't matter, we actually have to understand that because of the grace and the love and the mercy that Jesus has poured into our lives, there has to be a response from us when we receive that. And actually, it really matters how we live now. It really matters what we choose to do and how we choose to obey God now. We can't just coast through life pretending it doesn't matter. God will forgive me. So that's, that is a trap that we just need to really be careful and try and avoid. So I just want to recap 
What does favoritism look like in our context? Well, it looks like how we choose who to respect, who to give our time to, how we treat people, particularly here in church, but also outside of that. We need to reflect on why we respect who we do, how we treat people. Is it moulded by God or is it moulded by the world and that pecking order and those hierarchies? Why is it bad? Because deeply rooted in Jesus' teaching and all that Jesus is about is love, mercy and grace. And because he's loved and been merciful to us, we then extend that to others. So then we move on to how do we practically live this out. And I want to just suggest three ways. I'm going to have a sip of water first. How can we live out this practically? Firstly, very simply, we need to ask for God's help. Three of these, there's three points here, and they are all linked into communicating and praying with God. Often I know how serious I am about really implementing something into my life and doing something about something. The evidence of how uh, important that is to me is how much I'll choose to communicate with God about it. How much will I bring that to him every day? How much will I talk to him about that? How much will I ask for his help in that? And all three of these things are, are linked in with prayer. We need, we need God's spirit and strength and self-control to put these things into action. And it's not just that. It's also, we talked about the world and this constant battle between God's kingdom and living in the way that we know Jesus wants us to and the world and that being a constant pull. So actually, what sometimes we need to pray for is the renewing of our minds. And I think um, sometimes this can be a difficult thing um, because it's so, we are so entrenched in the ways sometimes that we think um, and it can be difficult, but through God and his Holy Spirit, our minds can be renewed. Romans 12 says it perfectly. Again, Paul in Romans says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Again, words that will be very familiar to many of us here, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. God wants us to live in the way of his love and his mercy. That means that he won't tolerate us living in that judgmental way we were talking about before, living in that worldly mindset. So ask for God's help. Pray for the renewing of our minds and the help of the Holy Spirit and God to, to lead us in that. Number two is be proactive, not reactive. If you're anything like me, you might be a little bit lazy. And sometimes it can be very easy to be passive and not think about things. It can be quite easy just to turn up at church and just be like, well, whatever happens, I'm just going to react to it and just respond to whatever happens when I get there. I want us to think about, instead of that, can we think more proactively? And that might be praying before we arrive at church, if this is something that we really want to put into our lives and implement in our lives? Could it be setting a reminder on our phones or even just wearing something that reminds us to be, I don't know, whatever it is, whatever would help you to make a conscious choice of how you're going to behave and live before you come into church or before you go to work or before you go to college and make that conscious choice? Because for me, what often happens is I can't rely on my reactions because my reactions often, without time to think, will let me down. But if I'm proactive instead of reactive and I've thought before I've got there, I stand myself in much better stead to do and behave in the way that God wants me to behave. 
Do we stick in cliques on a Sunday, or are we proactively looking around to try and figure out who needs speaking to? Who needs encouraging or helping? Are we prayerfully offering those things up to God and asking for his strength to be able to go and be bold and go and speak to those people that we know we really need to speak to or sit next to or just put an arm around and have a drink with afterwards? And if you're anything like me, it's so easy just to turn up and just be like, I'm just going to take whatever comes and see how I respond. So can we be proactive and not reactive? And then number three, understanding more and more and dwelling in the love the mercy, the grace of Jesus. It is my belief that when we truly get to grips with how much Jesus loves us and the mercy and the grace he has for us, I don't think we'll fully get to grips with it while we're here on earth. It's my hope that one day I'll understand it and I'll know it and I'll, I'll know it in its fullest. But when we understand that and we get to grips with it more and more, I find it becomes more and more, I think it becomes more and more difficult to treat people differently. Because actually when we experience and understand that mercy and that love that Jesus has poured out into our lives that we've talked about earlier, it becomes really difficult when we get that and we understand that and it moves us to then go and treat somebody else completely differently to that. So do we understand and dwell in that love? Do we keep going back to it? And there's a book that I read last year and I think I've talked about this book the last three or four times I've preached And that may be because it's one of the only Christian books, apart from Scripture, that I've read in the last six months. But it might also be because it just deeply uh, moved me. This book has genuinely uh, changed my relationship with Jesus, changed my life dramatically. And reading it along with reading the Bible has just really transformed my relationship with Jesus. It's a book called Gentle and Lowly. Uh, It's by a guy called Dane Ortland, And I have smiled whilst reading this book I've cried whilst reading this book it is absolutely I just strongly strongly recommend it I'm just going to share with you um, just a quote uh, here from from uh, this book in terms of just knowing and understanding how Jesus and his mercy and his grace works and how he feels about us it says the gospel flows good news of Jesus flows from God's deepest heart for his people a heart of tender love for the sinful and suffering His longing heart for sinners comforts and sustains us in the ups and downs of life. You might know that Christ died and rose again on your behalf to rinse you clean of all your sin. But do you know his deepest heart for you? Do you live with an awareness not only of his atoning work for your sinfulness, but also his longing heart amid your sinfulness? We have to keep going back and understanding that love that God has for us and the mercy and the grace and when we understand that more I believe it transforms and changes the way that we are we're softened and move away from that harsh judgment that the world brings and moved into the merciful loving way of Jesus and just to finish finally um, in a week where we've had a new last week as well a new king um, we talked a little bit about the early church um, and how they were really trying to live in Jerusalem, where James is writing from. Genuinely were trying to live as if Jesus was their ruler and their king and genuinely trying to live in his kingdom, with his kingdom as, as the rule over their lives. And I think it's for us to just constantly 
choose again Jesus to be the king. These guys were living in a way that was just completely the way that other people around them, what other people thought, the persecution, the oppression. They were just trying so hard. They were getting it wrong. There's a reason why there were, there were letters being written and encouragement being given. But their heart was to live so differently and counterculturally, to show the world around them a different way. The world is like this, but Jesus' kingdom is like this. And we want you to see the difference and for that to transform your life and for you to come into relationship with Jesus and live with him as your king and in his kingdom. So can we be truly countercultural and live with Jesus as king? I'm just going to get the worship band to come up and um, I'm just going to pray. Um, this stuff isn't like... Like, I don't find this easy. I don't find trying to live in a different way easy. It's something that I'm constantly battling with. But um, should we just stand together um, just before we worship? I just, if you feel particularly that just those snap judgments and those things that are just kind of like so easy to do are a real issue, um, and you want to move more into the mercy and the love of Jesus, then I just, I just want to pray for you now. Um, I just want to pray for us as a church. Um, so yeah, why don't we do that, and then the band are just going just gonna to lead us. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you are, you are love, you are mercy, you are grace, and thank you for the way that you have poured that out into our lives. Even though we aren't worthy, even though we don't deserve it, Lord, just again and again, you pour out your love and your mercy, and we thank and praise you for that tonight, Jesus. And Lord, our prayer tonight is that we would live in that way, that we would extend that mercy, that love, that grace to other people, that we would live in a way which shows a different way from the world, not a way that has favourites, but a way that sees humanity like you do. Yes, Lord, I pray now that you'd pour out your love, your mercy, again, your grace on us, your people. As we say, yes, Lord, we want to go again for you, we want to live for you, and we really want to be that countercultural church that your early church were just striving towards as you, with you as king and in your kingdom. So be with us now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.